Although the Lollygaggers podcast subscribes to the theory of many worlds, we firmly believe that no world exists where Justin is good at video games, especially Goldeneye. In this episode, Jeff finds familiar comics and games on Kickstarter and goes digital with the board game Gloomhaven. Justin ogles Chris Hemsworth and Extraction. Both Lollygaggers then head back to 1995, a different time and earth, with Slider. Welcome to episode 90 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, Pat? 90. We're not even octogenarians anymore. We're 90. Soon we're going to be that fabled 100. I know. Like We would be at 100 uh, already if we had kept to our schedule, but we missed some weeks from time to time because of uh, scheduling irregularities and things because like that. Life- uh, 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 finds a way. Shouldn't you said gets in the way? I think it was just gets in the way. Life uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, gets in the way. So, uh, so anyway, some interesting stuff uh, on my radar this week in terms of news. It's not really on my radar this week. It all kind of dropped last week, but a couple things, a couple Kickstarters I'm looking at right now. Did I? I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week or not. Did I talk about Cosmic Detective yet? I tell you about uh, this? No, but I saw your tweet. So Cosmic Detective. Uh, yeah, Cosmic Detective is a comic that's running on Kickstarter right now. And it's got two of my favorite comic authors that are combining. And then there's a third one who looks pretty cool, too. I just haven't really read his stuff. So it's Jeff Lemire, who has done Gideon Falls, which I've talked about uh, a couple times on the podcast. And I love one of my favorites. Uh, Frog Catchers, uh, just something else I talked about a couple months back. Uh, Matt Kent, who uh, who did uh, Mind Management, which I've talked a little bit about as well. Uh, so, like the two of them and David Rubin are combining, uh, are, are you know working together, and they're coming up with uh, Cosmic Detective, which is a science fiction noir tale. And it's up on Kickstarter. There's 20 days left to go, which means it'll end like the f- like day or two into June. Uh, and it's not too expensive uh, if you just want the digital stuff. You can get it for ten. Uh, but if you want a hardcover, which is Kickstarter exclusive, it's 40. Uh, now, it's a science fiction genre blending type stuff. I always like it when genres blend, when you you put more than one thing together. Uh, and so effectively, here's the, here's the tagline. Uh, so Cosmic Detective is an epic science fiction mystery that asks, when a god is murdered, who solves the crime? And so, yeah, and that's that's... That's ba- basically what happens. So, uh, so apparently last night, this is all on the Kickstarter page. You can take a look at it when you want. But at last night, a god was murdered, and then in a dirty city full of the seediest crimes you could think of. I don't know. I don't know. There, uh, Justin, I can think of some seedy crimes. Someone somehow has killed a cosmic deity, and then uh, and then we get caught, uh, and uh, that's that. And then we follow. Uh, we follow along our detective, and uh, as the, they investigate, the art's pretty slick. Yeah, it's pretty grimy. Uh, it's got this futuristic sci-fi quality to it. Uh, it reminds me a little bit, uh, just off the top of my head, of uh, you know, there's a little bit like a Blade Runner esque thing going on in here in terms of like the way he's like what he's wearing. He has got that you know that kind of trench coat type look. Uh, which is pretty cool. Also reminds me a little of Disco Elysium, which is this RPG I've been playing lately, which is kind of like an existential sci-fi-ish detective RPG, which is a ton of fun. So anyway, that's up on Kickstarter. It's got, uh, let's see, 10 bucks for the 
for the for the the digital edition, forty bucks for the Kickstarter exclusive hardcover. If you drop an extra eight bucks after that, you get a deck of playing cards with like special art on them that's related to the actual uh, react or actual comics. So pretty cool deal. I'm probably gonna jump on this uh, before the end of the month. Uh, so yeah, this is. I think this will be maybe my second or third comic backing. Most of my backing is like board games and role playing games. Uh, and then the other Kickstarter I'm eyeing is Dale of Merchants 3, which is a board game, or really more like a card game. Uh, it's a deck building game. I've talked about Dale of Merchants in the past as well. Uh, probably Dale of Merchants 2 or early on in our run. Uh, so it's a pretty light game. And basically what you do is you play merchants. Uh, you play little animal folk uh, within a specific world, and you're all merchants, and you're trying to like make it make deals like do some wheeling and dealing and stuff like that uh it's a uh it's a deck building game meaning throughout the course of the game you're you're refining and building deck your deck you're kind of pruning different abilities in and out of your deck getting junk out putting new abilities in the goal is that you're trying to collect sets of things uh and so each each card effectively has a numerical value it's attached to it there's art on it and then there's abilities as well and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to make different stacks or stalls of groupings of cards that add up to specific values. Like, so one and then two and then three and then four, and it has to be like precise. And the first person who can fill up their stall uh, with all the, uh, the different numbers that you need wins. And that's really how it works. It's super light, doesn't take very long to play. You can usually get like two or three games done in about, you know, about an hour, easily enough, you can get two or three done. Uh, and it plays up to four people. My wife and I play it two player. We backed the original Dale of Merchants long time ago. We backed Dale of Merchants two. We backed the Dale of Merchants collection. It was like a big old box that allows you to put all the stuff together. And now there's Dale of Merchants three, which is going to go right into that little collector's edition box. But uh, each one of the individual games, Dale of Merchants one, two, and three, are all compatible with each other. Uh, basically, there are different animal folk decks. And you combine a handful of those animal folk decks to create the deck that everyone's using uh, and like and pulling from. Uh, so you can take like, so what you normally do is you take the number of players plus one. And so each player kind of pick. So what my wife and I do, we each pick one and then we like kind of randomize the third. And depending upon the combination of animal folk that you're putting in the game, uh, that kind of changes the way it's played. Sometimes it's, it, could be, it could be meaner where you're doing things to ruin other people's stuff. Other times it might be more about uh, doing special combos or building some things up. Uh, so there's at this point there's a ton of different uh, there's a ton of different animals that you can kind of have access to, uh, and I think there's six new ones in the Kickstarter. And then you take all the others that have happened. Uh, there's some uh, there's some pledge levels in the Kickstarter that allows you to pick up the complete series. So if you wanted to get in and do that whole like you know full full box to that that i have which combines like all three of the small games plus uh plus a couple little odds and ends you can totally do that there's some add-ons as well for like premium player mats if you want those too which look pretty sweet i'm not sure if we're gonna if we're gonna go for it or not yet but uh if we're gonna go for the the play mats yet but i definitely like play mats uh so they're pretty cool uh, and you can also add on dale merchants two uh or one if you just want to get like one or two boxes so it's all pretty cheap. It's about 20 bucks, 21 bucks for one copy of Dale Merchants 3. Uh, so it's really not that bad. And it's a very small box too. So if you really don't want to like invest in the whole game, you can just get a tiny little one and go with that. So 
uh, pretty cool. It's by uh, Sammy Loxo is the name of the backer or is the name of the the person running the actual campaign, the designer and everything. Uh, it's a uh, Dale Merchants three, and this one's going to be running for seventeen more days. This is also right around the end of the month, start of June. So, look at it about I think May thirty first is when this one's going to finish off. So, it's good stuff. It's already funded. Uh, you don't got to worry about that, just like the the comic was. And so you can just pop in now, and uh, it looks pretty cool. So those are the two like little news items that I'm looking at. Think your first one. I got to start getting back into comics, man. I haven't read one in a while. I know. I, if only you could shot. find the time. It's just I'm so swamped. I'm yeah, like wall to wall things to do. It's interesting because there's times when like I'm like working at night and like like the last you know week or so I've been grading a lot of papers because my um, grades are submitted. So I'm done for like two weeks and then I'm in the summer classes and I'll be up late grading papers and I look over at Discord and there's Justin playing World of Warcraft. Then I wake up nice and early. You know, I get on my computer around seven or so to start doing the same thing. Yeah, early I am teaching. And there's right? Justin on World of Warcraft again. It's pretty interesting. No, I'm That's teaching. That's such, such not true. I'm <laughs> on so the hour. Not- okay, buddy. On the clock. I'm <laughs> teaching not on Warcraft. Sure. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Anyways, uh, you have some nice Kickstarters. I have a movie I watched. And I've been hearing a lot about it. Um, or at least they've been advertising it a lot because you know Netflix wants money. Um, it's Extraction. It stars a uh, Chris Hemsworth or Thor. You know, I'll just you know, obviously it's Thor. Um, and what's kind of interesting about this movie that they kind of toted with their with their like um, advertising in this movie is that the director is a stunt coordinator. Sam Hargrave and um, Sam Hargrave has done a lot of big movies recently. He did Avengers Endgame, he did Deadpool 2, Avengers Infinity War, Thor Ragnarok, The Saint TV show, Atomic Blonde, Suicide Squad, Captain America Civil War, Brothers Grimsby. Um, I think I'm one of the few people actually watched that movie. Uh, Hunger Games movies. He's done a ton of stuff. Her, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, The Wolverine, a bunch of stuff. So he's basically just been a stunt coordinator for years in Hollywood. And one of the big things they kind of did for this movie is they were toting that this is a movie directed by a stunt coordinator. And obviously he has connections to a lot of people within those movies. The One of the writers who did the screenplays, Joe Russo, is one of the Russo brothers who did uh, the Avengers movies. And also did Civil War and Winter Soldier and all that stuff. So they have a decent uh, screenwriter with them. They also have Andy Perks. Um, and it's basically it's based off of a, a book that was written called the Q Dot. Um, so that's what this movie basically is. Um, like who created it? It's got Chris Hemsworth and a myriad of Indian actors that if I just even tried to start to say their names, it would be um, humiliating. So I'm not going to. It's also got uh, Hooper from uh, from Stranger Things. He's, he's got a small partner, too. But most of it. You mean, is, mean Hopper? Uh, is it? It's not Hooper, is it? I, I thought I guess Hopper. Yeah, Hooper, I Hooper is Richard Dreyfus from Jaws. Yeah, it's got Richard Dreyfus. Ain't you watching that. it, Hooper? <laughs> I always remember that line. Anyway. So um, it's got Hopper from uh, Stranger Things. Uh, so the story is really simple. It's a simple story. Uh, 
Chris Hemsworth plays uh, Tyler Rake. And Tyler Rick is a mercenary. He's like the best there is, you know, that normal thing of like, you know, call me up, I'll get the job done type of thing. He's hired to help save a boy. This boy is the son of an imprisoned, like, drug warlord. And he has threatened his number two, who is supposed to be keeping an eye on his son, that if he doesn't get his son back, he will murder his entire family. So this man hires Chris Hemsworth to help try and extract this kid from this drug warlord in Dhaka, India. So this all takes place in Manpur and Dhaka. So basically he goes and does it and things don't go well. And it, the whole movie is a cat and mouse movie, him trying to get the kid back home, get his money, and then complications arise as it happens. It's a very common, I mean, this is the, this is the transporter this is a thousand things. This is like Book of Eli or um, a thousand different movies you've seen before in the past. The story is not new. What makes this story better, this movie very interesting and fun to watch, is the cinematography is astounding. And the obviously the fight coordination, because the, the stunt coordinator is the director, is astronomically awesome it's such good fight scenes the first fight scene is kind of like sets the tone for the movie where it's like him versus five like little little i guess like street level thugs and he just wipes out a room of five of them and shows like how good of a fighter he is and, and like weapons uh like manager he is and it's just brutal. It's, it's very much is akin to like Jackie Chan where it's like wide shots, shows everything, not a ton of cuts. You know, they're getting away because the, the stunt coordinator wants you to see what he's done. You know, I think a lot of these movies, like your Bourne movies or some of these movies in the past, they do a lot of those quick, quick, quick cuts, you know. Back yeah, back they back. make it look faster than it really is or they, yeah, they make it look. Yeah, you, know, piece of you see, you see you. like the natural fighting of this and like he's getting tired and he's, but he's still awesome because it's Chris Hemsworth. Um, and the fighting is really good. And he has like these certain lines he doesn't cross, like he doesn't mess with kids. But in India, there's a lot of child soldiers. And a big part of this movie is the recruitment of child soldiers in India by this one particular warlord that stole this kid um, from the other warlord. So there's fight after fight. There's like a 20 minute like quote unquote non-cut scene, you know what I mean? Where the camera just falls around, but you can tell in certain spots there's cuts, there's certain things that they had to do cuts to kind of make, otherwise it would be nearly impossible. But still, the stunt coordination, giving the, the short non-quote unquote cut parts are just super great. The, the chase scenes are amazing. The fight scenes are just brutal. A guy just gets hit by a truck. It's so great. It's just so fun to watch and entertaining and the movie's two hours long but the way that the fight coordination and the story goes it doesn't seem very long at all um then one of the best fight scenes happen halfway through the movie where he fights a small gang of child um uh like uh gangsters right child warlord warriors he crosses the line that he drew for himself he doesn't he knows what he's going against this is it's what's best about this movie he knows what he's going against and he knows he can't kill them or hurt or like really hurt them 
So he's just trying to like not die while these seven kids are trying to kill him. And some of the fighting in that scene is so hilarious because he just slaps him. Like he doesn't punch him. He's like slaps him. He's like, he's like, cut it out. And there's, and there's one point where he takes a kid by the legs and hits another kid with him <laughs> and swings the kid into the side of a van. It's so funny. And it's not really supposed to be funny, but to me, the fact that like he's holding back as hard as you can, even though these kids have automatic weapons and machetes and knives. And it's really a, it's not a funny movie, but that fight scene is there. I think there's a, a small amount of comedy involved, uh, involved with him beating the hell out of like a bunch of 13 year olds. Um, but I thought it's great. Um, and then there's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that's really commentary on like, the slums of India and really how how shitty it is there and that they're, they they get kind of wrapped up and like they have no other choice but to do these things because they're either orphans or part of poor families and stuff like that. It's a really interesting storyline and um, I thought Chris Hemsworth did a great job. There's not a lot of speaking in the movie. There's just a little bit when he has a conversation with Hopper um and there's a little bit between him and his like superiors and stuff like that but like overall the movie's just super action packed and fun and a lot of the fight sequences are just are just super amazingly fun and i I love those long shots even though they weren't really i'd say it would be like 20 minutes of three to five minute long shots that are spliced together to look like one cut you know what i mean so but Overall, I thought it was really fun. It's on Netflix, so it's, you know, it's a cost of life now. It's essentially free to watch. It wasn't boring. There was no stupid plot holes. The only plot hole I would say is there's one force trying to get the kid so he doesn't have to pay money to get the kid. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is trying to get the kid just to save the kid because the kid's in really a bad spot. And then the warlord who stole him in the first place spend so many resources to get this child i don't understand at a certain point if i'm the warlord, i'm like all right we lost the kid let me just punish the guy who dropped the ball you know what i mean so that's i'd say that would be the only plot hole i have this whole movie is like at a certain point cut it out like how many people has chris hemworth murdered um he's even beat up children and thrown grenades and blown up police cars and stuff like that and like you're still going after him. Just let it go and get back at it again some other time. It was so easy to get this kid the first time. Just do it again later on or do something else. At a certain point, you're just destroying your resources. But um, that's Extraction. It's on Netflix. I liked it a lot. I was glued to the TV. I love really good stunt coordination and really good action sequences. This is all that car chases, knife fights, cool gunfights um like stairwell things it's like that's all the stuff i love like i always talk about how much i love children of men every time daredevil does a long fight scene in a hallway i love that stuff and this kind of it harkens back to that type of stuff i enjoy so give it a shot all right so the other thing i want to talk about then because i didn't watch that movie but maybe i will now uh, i want to talk about a a video game slash board game I have been playing recently. Uh, it's called Gloomhaven. It's an incredibly popular game. Uh, if you're following Board Game Geek, I think it's probably the number one ranked board game of all time on there. Uh, Gloomhaven is pretty fantastic. It came out as a board game a couple years ago. Uh, backed it on Kickstarter. It's a huge, chunky box. Uh, it's enormous. They just had a sequel to it 
up on Kickstarter a month ago called Frosthaven. It is a collaborative or excuse me, cooperative uh, fantasy dungeon crawling adventure. And it's it's a very long, lengthy, continuous game. There's something like 99 plus uh, scenarios that you can go through, which is incredibly long. It could take you years to finish it. Uh, my wife and I play the physical copy and we're into our campaign, but uh, I'm not talking about the physical copy today. I want to talk about Gloomhaven, the digital version, uh, which is being made by Asmodee Digital and Flaming Foul Studios. Uh, it's currently in early access and it has been for a couple months now. Uh, you can get it up on Steam for $24.99. Uh, the game itself, the digital game, pretty much reflects everything that you do in the uh, in the board game. And that you, the game is is surrounds the notion of deck building. So every or deck construction, because uh, everyone picks, or you can pick, you can play two if you want. Everyone picks a hero to play or a mercenary to play, and you can uh, you can pick two if you want. Like in the in the actual uh, early access game, I'm I'm running two because I think that's the minimum amount of mercenaries you have to have. And then you go on a series of adventures. There's a, there's a little bit of story, but it's not super heavy, especially in the digital version. The story is a little bit heavier in the uh, in the actual physical game. And once launch comes around, they'll actually have a full-on campaign, uh, hopefully, uh, on the digital version. Uh, so every uh, every one of the mercenaries has their own deck uh, that has a series of cards. The cards uh, are have a top and a bottom. Uh, so you look at the top side of it, there's like one action that you can do. And you look at the bottom side of it, there's another action you can do. And on your turn, as you're going around a hexagonal map, uh, exploring this dungeon, killing monsters, loot and treasures, all that kind of stuff. Uh, every turn, you pick two cards that you want to play on that turn, and you have to choose between the top and the bottom. So one of those cards, you're going to use the top part, and one of those cards, you're going to use the bottom part. You can't do top on both. You can't do bottom on both. It's one and the other. Uh, and each one of those cards also has a number on it. That number initiates, uh, or excuse me, that number represents your initiative, and you can you can pick which card you, which number you want to use. So it could be 15, it could be 80, you know, and then each round, the initiative tracker is set that determines which people go first. So if you pick low, you're probably going first. If you pick high, you're probably going to have to go after your teammates, your other mercenaries or, uh, or your, or the enemies have to get to go first. And then you play your cards in whatever order you want on your turn to do what you want to do. Uh, usually it's an attack and it's a, uh, it's a movement, but there's a bunch of other things that you can do as well. Buffs, uh, spells, debuffing, uh, you know, you can debilitate other opponents, stuff like that. Uh, and the game is really interesting because your health is sort of represented also by your deck. So you don't have, well, that's not entirely true. I would say your stamina is represented effectively by your deck because you do actually have a health bar. Uh, and then you can take damage and you can run out of health. And what you what ends up happening is you get exhausted. You have to go back to town. You have to replenish. Now, you have a small, you, you always have access to your cards in the sense that you don't have like a deck and then have to draw only like four or five cards from it. Now, you from the very beginning of a scenario, you have access to all, you know, usually around somewhere around 10 to 15 cards in your hand, and you can pick what you want to use whenever you want to use them uh, when it comes around to your turn. But once you play them, they go either into your discard pile or in some cases you have to burn them, which means you can't use them for the rest of that scenario, for the rest of that dungeon crawl. If you ever run out of cards, you're you're done. Like you're out of, you're out, you're exhausted. You're out of quote stamina or something like that. 
uh, and you have to be removed from the campaign or from the scenario, I should say. Uh, so this game isn't just about like a Diablo running all over the place, willy-nilly, just hacking and slashing everything. You have to be very precise and tactical. You have to use your cards appropriately and carefully at the right times uh, because you could go ahead and defeat the the monsters just fine in one room, but then you open up a door to go into the next room. You're still only ha- you're, every single time you do something, you're whittling around, whittling down your own energy and your own stamina. And so it's all about the balance of it. There's very little randomness in this game. There's a little bit. You don't roll any dice. This is not a dice chucker. And since you get access to all of your cards uh, right at the start of the scenario, you can tactically decide when to when to choose to use them. Uh, at the once you're out of cards, like you, what you can do is you can either short rest or long rest. If you uh, short rest, that means you randomly discard one of the cards that's in your discard pile. If you long rest, that means you get to choose which card you discard. Uh, and basically you burn it and it's gone and then you refresh your deck every time you you refresh your deck then every time you rest your deck gets gets smaller and smaller and smaller until the point where you're out of cards entirely Uh, so usually dungeons have are anywhere from like two to six rooms or so Uh, there's a lot of different in, in the in the actual physical game sometimes there's extra objectives beyond just killing everything there uh, so far, I haven't seen a ton of variation. It's usually just go in and kill all the enemies and stuff like that. You also want to collect gold, uh, but you can't just you don't just you don't just automatically get the gold. You have to go to it and pick it up, which requires you playing cards to move around the dungeon and pick up those big piles of of gold. If there's treasure chests that you want to open, same thing. You have to use a card to move and go there. So you have to start balancing out the efficiency of okay, I need to kill this person. You know these these different creatures in the in the dungeon. I also want to gain this loot. I also want to gain this gold. So when am I playing what and, and how am I playing them in what order? What's the most efficient play? Uh, many cards also give you extra experience. Experience, uh, there's, a, there's a couple different ways you get experience, but mainly what you do is you play cards and your cards, uh, not, all, not all of them, but some of them have like a little symbol on it that suggests if you do something specific with this card, you get XP. If you get XP, then you can do things like uh, you can refine the, the you know parts of your deck. You can add new cards as you level up. You can add enhancements, perks, etc. Because every time you level up, you get to take perks. Uh, perks allow you to kind of whittle out some of the some of the some of the randomization. Because usually when you attack somebody, uh, you draw from a little modification deck. Uh, and so let's say your card says that you're doing three damage with this particular attack. Then you draw from a, another deck that has mods on it, like plus one, minus one, zero, crit, stuff like that. Uh, but what you can do when you get perks is you can start refining and tailoring that modification deck so that you're constantly doing like the positive damage that you want to do. Or you can go for some riskier stuff, like I want more crit cards. But if you have more crit cards, then you're also going to have more like crit fail cards too. So you can kind of tailor your, your, your mercenary how you want to do that. And that's all in the digital version. Uh, as well, which is great. It was awesome to see that. Uh, they've added enhancements and modifications, meaning that you can you can take existing cards and you can do more stuff to them. Uh, so meaning it adds like extra bonus effects, riders to certain abilities, maybe certain attacks now have a stun component to them, uh, that kind of thing. There's another really interesting uh, element to the game, and it is specifically the elements. So certain cards, when you play them, you activate a particular element. So it could be like nature or fire or cold. 
certain cards then can be used or enhanced if an element has been activated. So you can start comboing off of the mercenaries in your group. So you have one particular mercenary that you're playing that's going ahead and opening up coal to be now used. And then maybe your next mercenary is going to play a card that can then build off of that cold element that was just opened up, enhancing and adding more things to the combat. Uh, it's a fantastic game, especially if you like tactical, methodical play. Uh, it's it's definitely a game in the vein, but far more far better than like an XCOM or something like that. If you're familiar with those types of video games, uh, if you've played Slay the Spire, which is a game I love, Justin actually challenged me to that. That was one of the first things we did on the podcast, uh, which is a fantastic deck builder roguelike game. This has some roguelike elements, but Gloomhaven's a little different than that. But if you like the tactical card play, if you like slowly and methodically care, you know, tweaking your deck and customizing it exactly to your liking, uh, Gloomhaven's definitely the way to go uh, about doing this, uh, or definitely the way to go with that. Now, right now, there's a bunch of base, there's a bunch of base mercenaries in game. I want to say the seven, I want to say seven or maybe six. There's yeah, six base, and then as the game progresses, because in the in the actual uh, board game, you start to gain access to advanced classes and things like that over the course of your character's career. Because at a certain point in the base game, in the actual board game, your characters have to retire because they've just gone, gotten old. And now you get to open up new characters to play and certain elements, certain quests, certain quest lines or adventures that you complete may give you access to new mercenaries. So I don't know what the seventh one is that they just added in their most recent patch because I haven't looked at it. I don't want to be spoiled. Uh, but they did just add a seventh. Uh, they have a roadmap up since this is early access. It's it's entirely playable. You can totally play this. It feels pretty good. It it uh, I don't I haven't really encountered any bugs, and uh, it definitely represents the board game really 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 well. Um, but the the roadmap for the future is still pretty interesting. So they have some stuff in 2020. There's still going to be more enemies that they're adding, more bosses and more environments and abilities. So they're going to just adding a bunch of those different things to help with variation, uh, to help with replayability, etc. Uh, and the coolest thing is that they're going to eventually be adding multiplayer in a co-op mode, meaning that you're going to be able to play uh, with other people. And since right now we're doing a lot of social distancing still, uh, people are still not traveling, seeing each other as much. And board gaming is usually uh, kind of almost to some degree, if you're board gaming with strangers, somewhat high risk because you're constantly handling the same the same pieces, you know, the same dice when you hand them over, or same cards when you pass them along. This is a great way to possibly be able to play Gloomhaven remotely legally without using some kind of unapproved, you know, uh, simulator or modulator or something like that. So looking forward to that. I don't have a specific date. It just says coming later in 2020. Uh, the campaign uh, is supposed to be coming at full launch. But again, you can play the game right now and just go on these little adventures and stuff like that and build your character, get items, refine your abilities and just get a feel for the for how the game plays. There's different uh, There's different difficulty levels as well. So if you want a really difficult challenge, crank the difficulty up and have fun and then maybe cry a little bit because it gets kind of difficult. Uh, so this is a this is a great game. It combines a lot of like fantastical dungeon crawling elements, but with really thinky tactical play that is very rewarding if you're, you know, if you really want to examine how these different uh, these different mercenaries play. So Gloomhaven Digital being made by uh, Flaming Foul Studios and Asmodee Digital. You can get it on Steam now. Uh, the board game specifically is designed by Isaac Childress of Cephaloflare, excuse me, do it again, Cephalofair Games, uh, and Frosthaven, again, the sequel, 
just finished up their Kickstarter and broke all sorts of records a couple weeks ago, made a ton of cash on their Kickstarter, uh, probably will have a pledge manager if you're looking to get in on that too. So super excited about that. Uh, so take a look. It's a really good game. And on that note, Justin and I are going to stop talking separately and we're going to start talking collectively as we continue our nostalgic tour of, I don't even know, we don't have a good title for this yet, but like we used to call like some of these things retro reviews. It's not really what we're doing, but we're kind of looking back at some old television as we're running out of new television that we feel like watching. So we started to watch some old television. We began this trek with Highlander, didn't go, didn't go great, went to Briscoe County Jr., Really big ups to that Babylon 5, really solid as well. Only downside really of Babylon 5 is that you can't access it as easily as you can some of these other shows. And this week, we decided we were going to take a look at sliders. Uh, so Justin and I, this is this is basically Justin's uh, brother's recommendation. Uh, sliders came out in 95, so it's the, it's the most recent of all the stuff that we've looked at. Everything else that we've looked at has come out before 95. It's created by Tracy Torme and Robert K. Uh, Weiss. Uh, it stars, at least in the beginning when it was originally on Fox, uh, because it lasted for five seasons, but I think it was after the third season, Fox canceled it and it moved to Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, so in the beginning, the main cast was Jerry O'Connell, uh, which Justin will reference as uh, as the guy from Stand By Me, uh, John Reese Davis, uh, Davies, who's uh, we all know as Gimli from Lord of the Rings, uh, Sabrina Lloyd, and Cleavant Derrick. So those are like the main four sliders. Those are the main cast, etc. Basic premise of the show: It's sci-fi, uh, and it's all about parallel uh, parallel worlds. And so Jerry O'Connell's character of Quinn develops uh, this technology that allows him to open portals to other other Earths. And then uh, John Reese Davies is his, his professor, and then you got Sabrina Lloyd and Cleavon Derricks. Uh, Cleavon Derricks just is sort of an accidental. His car gets caught up as he drives, and it's sort of weird. Sabrina Lord Lloyd is kind of like a crush in a way that uh, Quinn has, uh, she plays Wade, and they get pulled in and they go to a different, you know, a different universe. And that's that's essentially it. And so like every single episode uh, effectively sees them jumping to some different world, dealing with some new, com- you know, new way of Earth, whether it's like a post-apocalyptic setting, whether it's like a cyberpunk setting, wh- whether it's like some alternate history where like the Cold War uh, didn't go the way it did in real life. And so now we're dealing with uh, this this massive like Soviet state, whatever it might be. Uh, so that's basically how this works. And that's kind of what the pilot is in terms of like the Cold War component. Uh, and then in episode two, it's about, well, episode three, technically, because the pilot really covers two eps. Uh, but episode three is when uh, Wade, played by Sabrina Lloyd, gets sick. She's got this fever. This is pathogen, et cetera, et cetera. And now they have to scramble to kind of find her cure Uh, And the health agency that is running that particular world uh, is not great. Uh, And they get they get trapped sliding, meaning the way for them to get back home. This happens early and this happens in the pilot. The way for them to get back home is damaged. And so now they can never actually control where they slide. They're just sort of continuing to try to figure out how to get home. And they're constantly sliding from place to place. Uh, as the series progresses, there's a lot of weird shakeups that start to happen. Uh, I know that when I was doing some reading and prep for this, I know that Jerry O'Connell and I know Tracy Torme have both talked about how the first two seasons were solid, but it was basically around season three where things started to go get weird uh, in, the, in that they didn't really like the scripts as much. Uh, John Reese davis is very critical 
of how the writers started to incorporate science fiction or fantasy elements from other sources. He kind of he he was quoted at once at one point saying that uh, he was sort of angry at how they just sort of looted or you know stole uh, ideas from other places. Uh, there was a there was an interview I was reading where he was recount like they were recounting an anecdote about how in this one episode where Quinn has to go across a invisible bridge so to speak, just like in the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It was it was actually resolved the exact same way. And since John Reese Davis was Indian in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he was kind of upset with it. So season three seems to have been a fallout. That's also when Fox finally canceled it, and it did go to sci-fi. Uh, there were a bunch of cast shakeups. Cleveland De- uh, Derricks is the only ma- the only original cast member to make it all the way through to the end. Uh, Jerry O'Connell's brother Charlie O'Connell he appeared in a couple episodes in the beginning. But then he joined as a regular in season four. But then both the O'Connells left in season five or before season five to go pursue movies and things like that. Uh, Sabrina Lloyd uh, got replaced sort of by Carrie Wooer. Uh, The two of them, rumor has it, didn't get along on set. And then eventually, depending on who you who you trust, uh, who you know who you listen to, Lloyd kind of got fired or was picked when they wanted to narrow it back down to only one woman on the on the main cast. Uh, John Reese Davis left the show, so it got all weird. At one, I, I think I stopped watching when it went to sci-fi. I don't think I watched it when it was on sci-fi. Uh, and then there was this weird part where, like, towards the very end, I think it was into season five when the O'Connells left, that I want to say, like, Jerry O'Connell merged or something with that, and, like, a new person was formed from this merger, this, like, freak accident of sliding, and that's how they got a new cast member. So he didn't go into a coma. He didn't die. He didn't just go home. He keep merged into another being, something like that. So uh, throughout the whole series, one of the major recurring villains are the Cro-Mags, uh, which come up quite regularly. Uh, and uh, it's season five gets weird, man. It just, they start, it's like the destiny stuff that's going on. Apparently Quinn isn't, Quinn's mom wasn't his real mom and that his actual real parents were somehow responsible for sliding tech because apparently being able to invent sliding technology is something you pass genetically from one person to the next, which makes no sense. Uh, so that's sliders, a little overview of the show and of the kind of little stories behind it. So Justin, first, did you watch this when it first came out? And secondly, what did you think? Well, first off, I find it very interesting that Cleveland Derricks is the one that lasted the longest in the show. That's very interesting because he seems like the most... Because he's just kind of like the comic relief. He's right? totally From, the comic relief. Yeah. yeah, he's totally comic relief in the beginning. He's the guy. He's the fish out of water. Like, what the hell's going on? Type of guy. Well, all the other so ones. You got, you know, you got Jerry O'Connell and John Reese Davies are scientists, and you got Sabrina Lloyd, who's a friend of Quinn's. So it makes sense. All three of them are together. But Cleveland, it's just random. Like he was driving like his Cadillac or his Lincoln yeah. or whatever that was driving, just kind of gets caught up in like a wild sliding wormhole, and his poor car gets busted because of it. It's super sad. So when I was younger, my brothers watched it. I don't know how much they watched it, but I saw it on. I think Chad was more of a sliders guy than Jeremy. I never really sat and watched a single episode. I knew what the idea was that they were going, using this wormhole and going from place to place. Did I remember that it was different universes? No, I didn't remember that. and I don't, I, all I remember was Jerry O'Connell and Gimli. That's all I remember from the show. Um, so knowing that, 
I, in watching these first two episodes, it's rather disappointing that it ends up becoming such a shit show. Um, because I thought the first two episodes were actually really fun. They are really, really fun. Good. The first season's really fun. Even the second yeah. season's really fun. But like, yeah. I thought it's really well acted. I thought the stories are good. I thought John Reese davies is fantastic. I thought Jerry O'Connell was great. Cleveland Derricks is fantastic. Sabrina Lloyd, maybe they just haven't really explored her character enough in the first two episodes. She's just kind of like, eh, okay. But like the other characters I thought were great. And I liked the predicaments they were putting themselves in, the the Soviet Union type of thing and yeah. the alternate universes I thought was interesting. So given all that, like I thought it was a I, I'm willing to put this like right below Briscoe County Jr. as the best we've seen so far because I I it's thought not, it was not really better than Babylon really Five. Fun. I wouldn't put this above Babylon Five. I, I think from what I saw, and because I don't have from from my perspective, because I don't have all that knowledge. You know, like I have no idea that yeah, ended up becoming a blender of information towards the end. From just the the controlled area that we've been in, I, I think it's it's fun, and I thought the acting was great. And it wasn't too outlandish and ridiculous where I'm like, eh. There's some ridiculous components. So, like, I remember watching it, and I didn't think about this at the time because I was a teenager and who gives a crap. But now, watching it, and I, I told you I watched this a couple months back. It just it happened to be on, and I was watching it. And now it's actually playing regularly. So is Babylon 5 on Comet, if anybody has the Comet show. And it's just constantly regular. It's on all the time. So you can – and so I was able to not just watch the first two episodes again, which I saw – maybe four or five months ago I watched him. And then uh, I started watching uh, just random ones. I was just picking up at that point. So I know, I kind of know the overarching story, but like I said, I, I never watched season five. I don't even know how the show ends. Like I'd have to look it up season four. I think I tried and I just bailed on it. Uh, but seasons one to three, definitely like, especially seasons one to two. The problem with the show, I think is that, it starts to lose sight of all of the potential it has in an episodic manner. Like as a show, think about this. They can go to parallel earths. That is an unending, unending source of, of creativity and imagination. Think about all the different earths that could potentially happen, like from comedic to serious, to satirical, whatever you want to call it, to horror, to, you know, exploded earths to there's like so many, there's endless possibilities of what they can come up with. And I think that they were exploring that in the first two seasons. And then eventually they started turning, I think towards more of an overarching storyline, which I think is almost a bit of a mistake here. Uh, I I remember liking it to X-Files and I remember watching X-Files and thinking, I love all of the, and X-Files is honestly one of my favorite shows. And they're both on Fox and they ran concurrently, right? So I, I remember watching them and thinking the same thing. I said, I just, I hate when the overarching storyline episodes come up because they're they're silly and they're big and I don't know, they just don't make sense and they're, you're trying too hard to connect everything. But when you get like the one-off episodes that are just like really interesting explorations of some sort of phenomenon, some sort of monster or some sort of parallel dimension, uh, you know, parallel universe. Like, I think that you manage to find some really cool moments. Um, you can explore the science and that, you know, the science fiction in that way. And I think that's probably some of the, some of what Reese Davis was getting at is that, uh, he, like, they're just, 
they're just sort of retreading some of the storylines that they've seen uh, in different types of science fiction when movies. Infinite possibilities. Yeah, as opposed to breaking new ground and doing and doing something else. So I really like a lot of the alternate history ones. Those were always really, really fun. Like America losing the Revolutionary War, America the, losing the Cold War. Yeah. Those are both things. Yeah. I thought the contagion episode or fever episode was kind of dumb because like the solution was just, oh, make penicillin and that saves the entire universe. I thought that was kind of silly. Um, I thought the second one kind of dropped off because it's like, oh, the whole point is these people are dying from this disease that spreads like wildfire. They don't know how to solve it. And all it is is penicillin, which is a discovery that was made in like 1900s, right? Well, that's kind and of the point like, though, is that like, yeah. is like you're looking at the old history and like what would happen if, you know, certain things didn't actually occur, you know? But I just thought like the ramifications were a little bit silly compared to like the previous episode, the first episode of like, oh, what happens if we didn't win the Korean War and didn't have leverage on, you know, uh, Russia and that part of the world, you know, which was a really interesting idea how it kind of like domino effect and stuff like that um i just thought the second episode was just a little bit flatter than the first episode but yeah, yeah. when you have like a, an, a, an ability to come up with whatever you want and you just do a raiders of the lost ark reference it's just kind of like oh, come on there's some like cheesy fun ones too like i remember eggheads i think i'm looking at the i'm looking at the list on wikipedia right now and like refreshing my memory of certain episodes eggheads was basically like we don't have football but we have like mind game and so, like, if you're really, really smart, like, you're kind of like the the athletic hero, so to speak. And so, like, there's this silly game that they play because you're really, really smart. And so it's like Brain Bowl times a billion. Uh, I know that there was one with an asteroid. I don't remember if this is season one or season two, but basically the world was about to die to an asteroid. Uh, looking at it, uh, looking at the list now. Last Days. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that's season one, episode four. That was definitely a, a good ep- episode as well. Um, so like there's, there's some good stuff. Like if you guys start going through it, um, the, I'm just going, I'm just going through like remembering some of these episodes, episode six of season one is considering like alternate history. It's basically all hippie stuff. So it's just like, what happens if like the, the revolution, like the, the sixties and the seventies, early seventies didn't actually happen. Like, or it like did happen and they just kept going. So it's kind of trippy. Uh, so there's a lot of cool things that they're exploring. I just do wish that they push the envelope a little bit like with the science of it all. Like I feel like the science of the science fiction here is pretty pretty flat. Like it's strangely enough This be- was a, a Fox show. This right? was originally a Fox show, yeah. So it's kind of like I guess their teen version of like an X-Files and they tried coming up with like a cuz like episodic sci-fi or It's not, definitely not, accessible. Or, yeah. I mean it's super yeah, accessible. So it's, I think that's just kind of like, and they're like, okay, we got to come up with an end to this. Cause like, I think a lot of times the premise is great. Like my wife's rewatching lost. I think that's a smart initial, woman right there. She's rewatching. She's on season four. Right now. It's even better than, um, than you imagine. I, I don't think you understand how good lost is, but like, it's, uh, I always think of lost when it comes like, Oh, they have a great idea, but I think they just get lost in the weeds of where they want to end it or they or they didn't maybe they didn't think five seasons out what they wanted there's to do. no they maybe like idea. that's that's verifiable fact at this point that's exactly what they said so it's like what happened with sliders it was like they had a great 
pilot, a great idea on their hands. But then they're like, okay, so season two, they're like, um... Well, no, season two is good. And I don't want to get into the speculation because that's all speculation. Like, like, like we, you do that a lot where you're like, oh, this is definitely. I'm not saying that's what happened with this show. I'm just saying like there's oh, there seems to be with a lot of shows where the premise is phenomenal. And it just seems like it's sometimes they get a little, yeah. a little lost in the weeds of what they want to do. Like this premise is great. You have an ability to do it's it's a it's a Doctor Who. Right? Yeah, no, totally. The, the, the Doctor Who of like you every week, you can go to whatever place and what, time yeah, you want and have exactly. whatever type of adventure you want. But like Doctor Who's been going on for like 50 years. And they're still so, coming up with kind of new, yeah. interesting things. And yeah, so it's like, yeah. is there ever an end to this? It's a lot like a comic book. Yeah. We're like, okay, Spider Man's bit by Radar to Spider. He's got these cool rogues and, you know, and his, and his enemies. But like, is there ever a way you can end this type of thing? You know yeah, I mean? like the thing with sliders is like I just feel like the science was never particularly interesting, and I feel like what they ended up doing is mainly a, a, like a historical piece, where almost like so many of the episodes are, what if this event in real history didn't happen that way? How would have the world have evolved? Which is a perfectly fine equation, like, and that's actually kind of a cool equation, right? Uh, but I do feel like they could have pushed it even further because usually they were just doing like relatively recent history, like something within the last 100, 150 years or so, um, as opposed to trying to push it back even further, you know, like before humanity yeah, like what existed. If the Roman Empire never, <laughs> yeah. What if the Roman Empire never fell or something like that? Yeah. Cool like that. yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good show for a while. It gets a little, I think it gets loopy towards the end. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, like f- season four, I kind of I got off the train. Part of it again was because it because it's 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 changing channel, but uh, but anyway, it's it's definitely worth watching. It's a it's a good show. The effects don't really hold up all that great. Um, there's like this, like I said, the science is kind of silly because in the beginning he's just like, I don't know how he's I don't know how he he's getting like he's got all he's got this this big thing in. This whole setup is in his basement. He's like completely draining the power grid. Like he would be arrested. There'd be like so many. F- yeah, there's so many freaking things that go around with it. But I'd say visually, it's probably the best looking pilot we've seen so far. I think it looked better than Briscoe. I think it looked better than definitely better than Babylon Five. Um, I thought Briscoe looked fine. I didn't think there was anything wrong. With I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But if I'm going to compare, I think because like the rocket in Briscoe's funny and interesting, but it was all practical. I, like it was all yeah. Funny. yeah. I thought that like the overall set design and like the only thing I would say is the revolutionaries, why would they have t-shirts that show like revolutionary stuff? You know what I mean? Like wouldn't you kind of want to be a little bit clandestine? Again, Same team, but, dude. Like, Same team. You just want to, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I, I personally thought it was the best looking pilot out of all of them. Maybe yeah. it had the most funding or whatever, but I, 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 I thought the pilot was great. I, I actually enjoyed it a lot. Like looking at like a Fair movie. Enough. I thought the pilot was fantastic. Yeah, no, it's definitely an entertaining show. I wouldn't have watched all those episodes a couple months back. And I'm, you know, now that I have some time and it's playing on comment regularly, I'll probably start watching some more here and there. Uh, so, all right, that's Sliders. Uh, I got that as number three so far. Uh, a close number three. So I would go. I got I got a two. Briscoe, Babylon, two. Sliders. And then I would do uh, uh, everything else and then Highlander. It's going to be hard to beat Briscoe, man. Briscoe was, it's, it's just good. It was funny and silly. And we're both Bruce Campbell fans. So that's, that doesn't hurt. So we have a couple ideas for next week. We're going to see what we can locate uh, online in an easy way. So we're going to end this episode 
Uh, if you like what you're hearing, if you like what we're doing, catch us on Twitter at Lollygagger Co. Uh, that's L-O-L-L-Y-G-A-G-G-E-R-C-O. And then Justin's at Buys, B-I-S-E, Justin, at Buys Justin. Uh, drop us some ideas if there's shows that you think we should watch. Anything usually from 70s, 80s, 90s, I think we would consider. 80s and 90s are definitely the wheelhouse. 70s might be pushing it, but we'll, we'll take a peek. Uh, usually something sci-fi or genre-related would probably work best. Uh, so if you've got some ideas, throw them out there. A couple people have sent us some notes. So thank you for those ideas. Uh, I also should note that we're probably going to be shifting our podcast host here pretty soon. As soon as tomorrow, actually, I might be shifting it. Uh, it shouldn't affect any any of you that are subscribing. And so hopefully you'll continue, you know, you're it's just going to kick over just fine. And those of you who haven't yet subscribed, subscribe. Uh, that'd be great. We would love to get some more subscribers some followers, et cetera. Uh, you can also catch us online uh, at our website, thelollygaggers.com. You can get all of our other uh, content up there, including the Adventures in Lollygagging uh, tabletop role-playing game podcast that we do that drops every Monday. Uh, and then you can catch us on our Twitch channel where we have other content that we've been developing. Justin and I play together in a uh, tabletop game on Thursdays, twitch.tv slash ZweihanderRPG. Uh, if you catch us on the 14th of May, we're going to be finishing up one chapter and then on the 21st, starting a brand new chapter. Will the Holy Rollers survive? I'm really curious. You're the wild card. I kind of know pretty much how the other stories are going, but yours is yours is weird. I don't know what's going on with you. Uh, so definitely, definitely check out that because everyone wants Holy Roller to live. Uh, and then uh, what else? And then on Friday on twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers, uh, I'm running a Mutineer Zero game, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, tabletop role-playing game. And on Mondays now, I have a new show uh, also on twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers. I'm playing uh, and running The Heart, City, The City Beneath, which is a great new RPG. Uh, and we're having a ton of fun. So come check that out. We're getting uh, some good feedback so far on that game. Uh, all right, Justin. So here's a simple question for you. We got a show in which you can hop into different worlds and parallel dimensions. Uh, you are Quinn. I clearly am uh, I'm John Reese davis your more intelligent uh, mentor. Uh, you open up a portal. We hop through. Uh, where do we go? We go to a dimension where uh, three years ago, Cleveland Indians won the, uh, the World Series instead of the Cubs. And I don't uh, want to cry the entire night. And also the Browns have won seven Super Bowls in a row. That's the dimension I want because it will never happen in this dimension. So some sports happiness other than the Buckeyes is what I'm looking for in a dimension. I don't think there's any TV writer that has that kind of creativity. (laughs) 